Hello, this is the MS Improv Podcast, powered by GEMS, where we engage, we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. Today, we have a, the pleasure of having a conversation with Dr. Victoria Reinhartz. Dr. Reinhartz is a medication expert and an industry innovator turned mobile health advocate. She was recently named the top 50 most influential leaders in pharmacy. She is also the CEO of Mobile Health Consultants and is doing things for physicians, doctors, paramedics, nurses across the country. We welcome now Dr. Reinhartz. Welcome and, and thank you for taking the time to be on the EMS Improv Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I love your episodes and the value that you bring to our industry, so I appreciate being a guest today. Well, it, it wouldn't be a value without adding somebody with your expertise, and, and I appreciate your, your kind comments as well. So um, to get into it, if you will, can you share with our listeners and your followers, what is your primary motivation and what got you what, what was, so to speak, the driving force to get you into mobile health and, and becoming a consultant in pharmacy? And uh, what, were, what were some of the things that led you down this path? You know, I, I think it is is certainly a, a wavy path with a, with a lot of, uh, you know, bumps in the road and things. And, you know, I certainly did not graduate as a pharmacist. I'm a pharmacist by trade. And I, I certainly didn't graduate with uh, with the idea or the notion that I would become kind of an, this national advocate and continue to to uh, represent an entire industry as the new face of healthcare, uh, but I I think that you know I became really passionate about the access to care issue when I was serving as a pharmacy manager. So I, I did serve as a pharmacy manager in the Sarasota, Florida area for several years, and you know I had so many patients that would call on the phone and they can't get in to pick up their medicine, and now they're they're not adherent, and now they're in the hospital because of affordability issues or, you know, transportation issues or socioeconomic issues or dementia, you name it, right? The issues that we see in our patients. And I, I really started to just say, this is so unacceptable that we have this access to care problem in one of the most well-developed countries in the world. And, and I started to to kind of reinvent my career to work in underserved populations and in the public health arena. And I, I was doing that within the local department of health before I got brought in as a consultant to, um, to a project on community paramedicine. And, you know, in that, in that role as a consultant, my job was to explore the medication challenges that were contributing and how we could develop the community paramedicine program to help solve some of those problems. And we really found in that research that it, it's not just that simple and that paramedicine programs would benefit from having kind of a direct line or, or immediate access to a pharmacist when necessary. And we tried it and it was effective. And so that really fueled my passion when I see things that work, kind of crazy ideas or innovative ideas that work, then uh, that's really rewarding, right? And, and so that's kind of where my passion for mobile integrated health began was trying this crazy thing and, and realizing that it was highly effective. It's funny you saying crazy things and, and for lack of a better word, I think that's, that's quite befitting of, of an idea that, that spawns itself into something so productive and so beneficial for, for, for our patients. And, and for each of us uh, and, and being a practicing paramedic myself and, and studying pre-med for wherever that's gonna take me down the line, um, I find it confounding at times the education that we receive and how it's not measuring up 
to the point of continuing pharmacology training with new medications and, and understanding the polypharm issues where one physician sees a patient and another sees a patient. And the pharmacist is traditionally or typically the only person that's seeing how all these things are going to interrelate with the patient. And us doing a better job in the street sounds like it's a, a fantastic idea. So where have you implemented this program that you have allowed uh, paramedics or community paramedics, I, I think more specifically, to be able to call in? And is there a bank of pharmacists working or is it you by yourself? Yeah, so we we piloted this idea in Manatee County, Florida, local to where I was, you know, serving in in public health areas. And it would we did a three-year pilot and we actually had the pharmacist uh, model delivered in two different ways. We started with actual boots on the ground where the pharmacist went into the home alongside the paramedic and it was so effective and we continued to grow so rapidly that we quickly realized that unless we have the budget for a couple pharmacists that we need to implement, you know, either telephonic or, you know, telehealth remote consult where the paramedic would go into the home and then, you know, pull up the pharmacist for kind of on the spot patient counseling or, or for, um, you know, on the spot evaluation of a chronic disease exacerbation and, and figuring out what the best medication solution was at the time. And so, you know, that pilot that we did again, we, you know, we were able to save over $5 million in the three years but we, we really were able to flush out, you know, some of the protocols to how, how it can be most effectively implemented, both, you know, in person in the home and also through our virtual means, which has become really critical during the pandemic, as we all know. And so that has really propelled me to be able to not only provide kind of on the spot virtual services across uh, the nation to any team that needs it, but also support them in other ways, like what you mentioned with the pharmacology training or chronic disease education, or, you know, uh, disease exacerbation triage and, and those components as well. Wow. Um, so I know that that's a lot of things happening and, and certainly was time consuming and data influenced, I'm sure, a lot of the, the key measures that are, that are ongoing. One of the things that I know a lot of listeners are going to be interested in knowing is how are you funded? Because I know a lot of pilot programs in just community paramedicine alone, not with the um, opportunity to have a, a pharmacist on the line. Um, so are you privately funded? Are you funded through state and federal grants? Or, or how, is this, how, is it, how is there an opportunity? Are hospitals helping you? Uh, how, how is this happening? Yeah, you're, you're funded, you know, any and all of the above. And I think that's what's been discovered within our industry is that we have really successful paramedicine programs that are county funded or state funded. We have programs that are now doing, you know, uh, ET3 pilots. We have programs that are established with, you know, private insurers that are funding on a, a per patient per month or, or you know, a, um, an at-risk standpoint for uh, improving health outcomes in patient populations within a certain area or with certain diagnoses. And we also have health systems that are funding or grants that are funding. And so I think the key to remember here is that 
However, the program is funded, the pharmacist can be funded the exact same way. So you just incorporate pharmacist services as part of that kind of pay for the personnel piece. And then we adapt the pharmacist services around whatever, you know, um, metrics are necessary to meet in order to receive that funding. So I guess, you know, an example here is if a physician group uh, decided to bring on a paramedicine team with a pharmacist, they would pay a flat fee per year or maybe per patient or however that was contracted for the program in full. And part of that program includes the pharmacist services. And then what the pharmacist does is maybe, uh, you know, helps to manage the A1C or the, the blood pressure for that patient or the COPD regimen for that patient. And so uh, it really is a win-win across the board because the services provided can be uh, highly flexible to whatever funding model is available and already in existence. That's exceptional. So a uh, couple, I, I have a thousand questions, so uh, <laughs> bear with me and I appreciate that. As, as a paramedic that still sees patients and when we're in the house uh, and, and we see these confounding issues and we don't have the opportunity to, to meet with a uh, telehealth uh, pharmacist or, or physician, and we're trying to reduce readmissions and, and reduce cost of transports and, and ER visits. Are you seeing that this is also significantly improving or reducing the 911 calls in your communities because they have somebody that, that's actively participating in their, in their healthcare, meeting them in their homes and also reducing readmissions? I'm, I'm presuming these are all positives and wins in this circumstance. Yeah, so research actually shows that the more interprofessional the mobile integrated health team is, the better the cost savings for cost of care provided per patient per month. So, it, you know, if you at, if you have a paramedic and you send the paramedic out by themselves, they can make a huge impact. We know that there's there's an incredible amount of data that shows that. But you know, like you're alluding to, that paramedic may not be able to differentiate those 30 different bottles of medicines and be able to tell the patient which ones duplicate or which ones, you know, really should be taking you know, taken together or not together or, or having drug interactions or whatever the case may be. And so it's really empowering that paramedicine team with the additional skills necessary to move the needle on other health outcomes, right? Like uh, medication errors or, um, you know, uh, the adherence of a patient. So it's kind of like the pharmacist is a tool in the, in the tool belt for the paramedicine team. Okay. Fantastic. Um, with your paramedics that are in your programs that you've helped initiate, what extra schooling and education have they received, uh, to be along with this interprofessional team? Um, as far as being able to confidently um, go out there and obviously confidence because they know that they have resources that support them in, in physicians and, and pharmacists, et cetera. But what, what are some of the things that these paramedics and community paramedics have to, uh, have to go through to get to this level? 
Yeah, you know, right now it's a it's an industry wide challenge when we talk about the education because there is no consistent education in mobile integrated health as far as like what it takes specifically to become a community paramedic or you know a mobile integrated healthcare provider. We are doing a good job as an industry, you know, working with IBSC and other organizations to figure out how to you know provide a certification for a community paramedic, but the education piece leading up to that is still highly variable. And, and one of my long-term dreams, right, is to, is to help support the industry. I do have a background in education, of course, teaching in, in um, you know, accredited schools of pharmacy and in medical schools. And so I would love to continue to help in that, in that sense of developing a standardized curriculum. Um, but really, the point of your question is that, yes, there is a gap. Right. Mm -hmm. And that uh, there is a lot of support that can be lended. And some of the education initiatives are, of course, about medications and, and pharmacology, um, but also, you know, how to really identify the most common challenges of chronic diseases and and better be able to tailor our assessment in the field based on what's going on with that individual patient. So, you know, just as an example, well, let's take one of our most common conditions, COPD, which we know, you know, results in a significant number of hospital readmissions and is a huge talking point with CMS and, and, and health outcomes. So, you know, if you send a community paramedic in to a COPD patient, you know, they have a general understanding of the disease. They, uh, they certainly know how to identify uh, acute exacerbations. Uh, but it can be difficult to figure out how you're proving your worth and how over the long haul this patient is getting better because you are in the home. And so one of the things that we do is we talk about how in evidence-based treatment guidelines, COPD as a disease is evaluated. And we talk about symptom scoring scales and we talk about you know, at visit one, we do a COPD assessment tool, and then we get a score for that patient. And we do that every so often throughout our follow-up with this patient and prior to graduation. And we can really see over the long haul how we are making a difference, not only in the number of 911 calls for that patient, or not only in, in um, you know, how many exacerbations we can prevent or hospitalizations we can prevent, but we're also now seeing that long-term, that disease control is better. That patient is less symptomatic. That patient has objective measurement to demonstrate improved disease control. They have improved quality of life in their symptoms, symptom scale assessments, and they have better medication adherence and better medication, more effective medication use. And so it really does a lot for the value proposition of integrated health to have someone like a pharmacist who can come in and really provide that in-depth education and guidance to the team about different strategies we can use when we're assessing our patients to show our value. And then showing value, it sounds like there's, uh, when we're dealing with human beings and, and a lot of times uh, paramedics, we see uh, an issue, you know, we do a, a quick assessment, we do the ongoing assessment and we treat for what's immediately in front of us. And we tend to have more transactional interaction versus re, uh, relational interactions with, with human beings that are our patients. Um, are you finding then that, and it, it sounds like it would make sense as I'm trying to grow more relationally when I'm in the field, uh, 
and earning hopefully more trust where we understand some of the differences or misunderstandings or the inability for uh, for adherence to medication uh, usage or proper usage that you're creating relationships with these patients so that they're they they then feel a sense of value not only themselves but because they see the progress and they see somebody there with them kind of moving through this is that one of the tenants um, unintentional or intentional about the program that really seems to be working oh absolutely i i would say that we definitely see that you know there's a lot of pressure when we talk about mobile integrated health to do you know, quick patient enrollment, quick graduation. And those of us that are actually doing the work, we know that not every patient is going to be a 30-day turnaround because you do oftentimes have patients that have, you know, been failed through the traditional healthcare system. And they they have, you know, trust concerns and they um, think, oh, great, here's another doctor that's going to come in and tell me what I'm going to do. And so you have to spend a little bit of time or a couple of uh, visits building that rapport with the patient. But they, and this is why paramedics also are just so fantastic in this role, paramedics and EMTs, because if there's anybody that's going to be real with you, it's going to be a paramedic, right? Or, or an EMT. And so I think a lot of times patients can really appreciate that. And they, they have this, you know, healthcare provider that's coming into their home and, they really are one of the most effective healthcare personnel to build that trusting relationship. And then, you know, when they're beyond their depth, they can just dial up a pharmacist or they can dial up a nurse or dial up a social worker and get them on a telehealth or a phone call or whatever is necessary. But yes, absolutely. That trust building with a patient is a huge part of it. And certainly one of the reasons why the interprofessional healthcare team is so effective. And we do that in training as well. We teach things like motivational interviewing and, you know, different strategies for demonstrating demonstrating empathy and uh, how to educate on particular diseases without also terrifying patients. I, I love hearing that when it's curious because as, as a paramedic and, and knowing that when we get our paramedic, oftentimes we, we feel that in, in, across the industry that that's the pinnacle. That's, that's where we are. And that's where we, you know, we're going to plant our flag and, and growth mindset and, understanding empathy and motivational interviewing and all those things, uh, other kind of passe, if you will. And a lot of paramedics now in the industry, and you see these on social media all the time, the arguments for why are we letting nurses and pharmacists and PAs and nurse practitioners get into our industry, into our business, when forward-thinking EMS and mobile integrated health services are providing these inter professional relationships where paramedicine is never going to go away, but to fuel uh, continued opportunities, we have to grow within the industry. Um, as we know, there's a decline on paramedics, there's a decline on nurses coming in, there's a decline, decline on physicians. And if we continue to fail to see, I think, and this is my belief, these opportunities and growth opportunities for patient care, 911 calls and emergency calls are never going to stop but we can also better help our communities and the citizens we serve if we start implementing some of these things. And you've already proven beyond the, um, the uh, proof of concept that it does work if you're looking and asking the right questions and, and going to the right people to help. And there's always gonna be somebody out there to help, I imagine. When, have you hit any roadblocks along the way during the proof of concept or anything like that that 
some of our listeners and, and your followers would be interested in hearing and how you overcame any of those uh, obstacles if, they, if you had any? Absolutely. So with any crazy idea, right, you have road bumps. So we know, we know that, but, but I think that's part of the fun of it. And, and figuring out the puzzle and figuring out the best strategy when you do hit those. I think the road bumps are going to be a little bit different for every team. So, you know, what I mean by that is for some teams, it tends to be, you know, more of a, a, a road bump for uh, figuring out how to get everybody on the same page with, with something simple like um, doing a new assessment for a disease or changing the, changing the pattern of how we track data or, you know, getting in the pattern of documenting, you know, A, B, and C that are necessary to demonstrate value of the program. Um, so sometimes it's going to be something relevant to, um, you know, kind of protocol implementation. And I think the key there for how we've resolved that in, in the past is really leaning on our technology. Anything that we can take off of the plate of our overworked and overburdened medics out in the field and, and create it as a technology, you know, um, hard stop or something that they just can go in and click a button to say yes or no for this assessment. Uh, you know, those are going to be ways that we can more easily uh, create those to be the norm of what we do. And so instead of relying on a, a, a paramedic to just totally change the way they talk to a patient or create this additional thing that they have to remember, if we automate it and utilize our technology effectively, uh, then that's, that's a solution there. The other example I think is, uh, is actually relevant to medication lists and medication inventories themselves. So a lot of the, a lot of the softwares and a lot of the, you know, EHRs or whatever systems that the teams are using, they don't always have the, the fields that are necessary to even safe safely document a full please medication list. And so Again, you know, it comes to whenever possible, if we can build out that technology so that this can be done much more safely and effectively, then you are minimizing risk of medication error as well. And so I know that's something that has had to be done now with multiple teams where, um, you know, just one or two fields for med and dose is not adequate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we need additional, additional information there about route of administration and how often they're taking it. And you need a free form field because we know that uh, somebody might you know, need to take something every morning, but they only take it on Tuesdays and Thursdays after church because they, you know, don't want to have to urinate all day or whatever it is. And so sometimes you need a free form field and, and those flexibilities as well. So this really isn't creating more work and it in the long run, it sounds like it's saving, you know, what primar what many paramedics will say, the oh, this call again, or that house again, or that, you know, as soon as they hear the tones drop and they, and they recognize an address. So this, this would seemingly save, and it does save a lot of those, those calls. And, and typically then they're going to be actual emergencies from that residence, as opposed to calling because they have a medication issue or, or they're having a, a problem with uh, a drug interaction or something like that. So I, I, I look at it from the wind standpoint, where, we, where we're gonna have some naysayers that say, this doesn't sound like it would be beneficial or it's gonna be time consuming. 
and it's going to be constraining to me. And I got into the field because I wanted to run 911 calls and emergency calls. Um, so it sounds like to me, the more we take off the plate of 911 and we continue to integrate mobile integrated health to the 911 system and partner them through interprofessional pathways, we're actually going to be saving uh, saving work for people and also fueling uh, better patient care, which should be the end result and end goal. And I think why any of us got into healthcare to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, the other side of that is that now, whenever you do have an issue that needs to be handled outpatient, now you actually have the the information you need to make a safe decision, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you have a patient that's called 911, um, you know, three times this month. And so uh, you get there, you work with the mobile integrated health team and you go there and you take a medication inventory, and then you can kind of deploy it to the pharmacist, right? So now you say, okay, here's the patient, here's their past medical history, here's this giant med list. The pharmacist can can straighten out all the details about route and dose and evaluate things for duplications and get a really accurate med list that's appropriate for the patient on file. And really, if we don't do this, we're almost contributing to the risk of harm, right? Because now we have a medication list, the primary care has a medication list, the hospital discharge has a medication list, the cardiologist has their own medication list, right? And so now we have a true legitimate med list so that the next time that patient, you know, runs a little hypertensive or, or has a sugar that's, that's too high and they need outpatient intervention. Now we have an accurate, detailed pharmacist reviewed medication list off of which to um, consult with a provider and make that healthy decision. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it really, it really does contribute to what you're saying in all of these different ways. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's fantastic. And, and I hope as listeners continue to come to this podcast and, and hear people like you that uh, are such a, a fantastic advocate for patient healthcare at the point of access um, to reduce uh, 911 calls, to reduce readmissions, to reduce even physicians' visits. Um, I, I think it's it's all the way around a win. When we talk about uh, ET3, and I know it's not been uh, gone on for a significant time, are, are you seeing any a- anecdotal evidence that's indicating that? it's proving itself to be in the systems that you're aware of uh, beneficial from a alternate destination transport uh, as opposed to just a 911 transfer if, if you're even able to say that because I know the data isn't significant but if you're seeing it or hearing anything anecdotally that's showing that it that it's going to be beneficial or potentially beneficial it is too early. I think you're on to that. You know, you're correct. It is probably too early with the official ET3 teams. We have some of them that have implemented, you know, their strategy at this point. But again, from a data collection standpoint, right, it's too early to say. Now, I mean, we know that insurance companies are contracting paramedicine and MIH teams. They are, you know, paying teams directly uh, a per member per month uh, stipend or or fee to uh, go out and provide services for that patient because they know that these teams are 
highly effective in reducing the overall cost to that insurance company for each, you know, individual member. And so I don't foresee anything different in, in ET3. I'll be honestly uh, pretty surprised if I, if, if we find anything different then yeah, actually it does help because we now have what, you know, a decade worth of, of preliminary data off of which to base this on. And, um, you know, I think the real, the real outcome of ET3 is going to be more successful, um, more successful fleshing out of how do we, how do we track metrics, which metrics are important to track, um, what are some standard operating procedures that we should apply across the industry, uh, how do we set up these billing models for this type of care within CMS. I think those are the pieces that are going to be more effective from an outcome standpoint for ET3. Those of us in the industry that are doing this, we're that, you know, from a cost-saving standpoint, it's definitely effective. All right. So to backtrack a little bit and something that I failed to ask um, when you were going over it, when you're talking about patients and after their graduation from from the program, uh, what's the typical length of time that they're in a program, uh, if if there is a typical length of time? And then what kind of follow-up, if any, is there post-graduation? Again, highly variable per per group. Um, we have, you know, some some. I, I, let me let me back up. So I would say for most community paramedicine or mobile integrated health initiatives, most teams are going to shoot for probably like a sixty to ninety day enrollment. We have some that are on the shorter end with a goal of thirty days. We have some that are longer than that, of course. Um, program specific. So maybe, you know, substance use disorder programs might be longer than that to facilitate peer support or other initiatives. We might have some maternal fetal health uh, programs that are longer than that, that might last throughout an entire pregnancy. And then for so many weeks after delivery, for example. Um, So it does, it does get pretty variable depending on the focus of the program, but probably most of them are going to be in that 60 to 90 day target target area. As far as follow-up after the program, for the most part, once you've met all of your program goals and your your conditions or your diseases are adequately controlled and you have access to the resources you need and you have been able to demonstrate that you can successfully navigate the healthcare system, for the most part, uh, at that point, most of the teams are officially kind of pulling out, right? And they're saying, you're good to go. We'll, you know, maybe do a 30-day post-graduation follow-up call to just make sure that you don't have any new issues or challenges, um, or we might do some survey data afterwards to, you know, capture um, your overall feedback about the experience or any changes in your disease control post-graduation. But, uh, but for the most part, there's not too much continuous follow-up uh, beyond maybe like a 30 or 60-day survey. Okay, and that makes sense. And have you found that in any of those surveys that you've had significant changes where where there had to be a, a, a new intervention or reintervention, if you will, uh, with those people? And if so, what what were some of the reasons that, that you may have potentially found that there was a, a, a falling back or a, a backslide uh, for a patient? 
most teams, uh, most teams that I have worked with really have not um, identified it on the survey where a patient is an additional need of help. Um, we do get some quality of life data out of the, out of the post-graduation surveys. We do get some disease control, uh, information out of the, the post-graduation surveys, but usually that's not how, uh, we identify a patient's in need. Often it'll actually be, you know, maybe, um, an ER visit or, uh, maybe a 911 call where, uh, it will regenerate to the, the mobile integrated health program and say, Hey, this, this patient, what used to be a paramedicine patient, and now they had a 911 call and that will usually prompt uh, the MIH team to kind of reach out again and say, Hey, you know, what's going on? We can come in, you know, come and see you for um, a visit and they can go out and do a visit and then determine, right. Is it, was this a one-time fluke or, you know, have they kind of, um, fallen out of, of their treatment plan again, and do they need to be re-enrolled in the program? So, you know, something like that might be, um, that we'll go back to our COPD patient, something like that might be that the COPD patient, um, you know, had all of their medications. They were, you know, um, they were adherent to their treatment plan. Uh, we had their, their medicines adjusted. We, uh, you know, got them access to oxygen or, or whatever was necessary. We got them in with a pulmonologist and they've been doing really well. They graduate from the program. And then maybe, you know, two months after graduation, their, their insurance changes and they have a hard time, you know, reestablishing with the new insurance to get the oxygen tank you know, that they need or something. And so then we might do a short term, like re-enrollment, for example, to get that oxygen tank issue taken care of, but, but maybe they don't actually need to be enrolled again long-term. Okay. And that makes sense. So thank you for sharing those, those ideas for the listeners the, that might be a, a CEO or an owner of a company or an educator in an organization, cost of, of implementation and, or for re-education or ongoing education for these types of services. The upfront costs, are there, are they significant? And, and at this point, any cost would be significant to certain agencies because of uh, reimbursement rates or, or lack thereof and or funding opportunities. But is, is this something that you found with the organizations that you've worked with? There was some pushback initially with this crazy idea, as you say, um, and then once they spent the money and found that there was money to support that, and it, whether it be from a hospital system, from a doctor's or physician's group, uh, an insurance enrollment opportunity, that really uh, setting up just another business avenue uh, to implement this was the most significant issue for them. So if you could speak to that for a minute, and then we'll, they'll start wrapping up because I know your time is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So the, I would say that when we're talking about figuring out how to incorporate a pharmacist on a team, uh, that across the board and every, every other area of healthcare. So you, you look at health systems, you look at, you know, a primary care physician's office, you look at a heart failure clinic, uh, on an outpatient basis or an infusion clinic for chemotherapy or, or any of these other areas of healthcare 
the data continues to show that having a pharmacist available to navigate medication challenges, you know, review for medication risk, because, you know, these aren't benign substances that we're putting in our bodies and that our patients are putting in their bodies. And they all have consequences and side effects and interactions, and it can get really nasty really quickly. Um, adding a pharmacist to a team in all of these other settings of healthcare have been shown to be cost-effective and beneficial to health outcomes. And we have also now with successful pilot projects, we have demonstrated this across the board in uh, mobile integrated health as well. And so when we're talking about cost, you know, I think sometimes um, EMS teams and paramedicine teams get a little bit stressed about, well, a pharmacist is expensive, but when you look at it in the sense of you don't need a full-time pharmacist, probably, right? So maybe our really robust programs well, in which case there's certainly enough funding. If there's enough funding for like a physician or a nurse practitioner, a lot of times you can get the pharmacist services for a fraction of that. Um, but you, you, you can start small, I guess is my point. Um, so that's why we do a lot of education right now for teams. So if you're not sure if you can afford pharmacist services, you can at least maybe, you know, have a pharmacist come in and do a couple hours of education for your team to better uh, support your protocols and their processes within the home. Or um, maybe you do an approach where you just have the pharmacist review the protocol, or maybe you have, you know, weekly rounds where uh, one day a week only for an hour or two, you take your top three most complicated patients. And we review those um, to really cut down and, and make the accessibility to the medication expert much more affordable for teams. So I like hearing that. And in, in, in paramedicine specifically, uh, the current way for payment or reimbursement is through transport. And so we have to continue to grow and see and be mindful of the opportunities to save people from being transported, but yet still um, pay, pay the organization and the professionals that are out there, including the paramedics and pharmacists and nurse, nurses on the inter, interprofessional team that are going out there. And it's proven that, it's can, that it can be done. Dr. Reinhardt, I know that your organization does training and offers training to organizations. If you wouldn't mind, uh, you do a Reinhardt's rundown, which I think is free. And then you guys also offer training opportunities for organizations around the country that might not have a pharmacist or that may be more cost-effective or, or let them kind of see the bigger picture that they may end up at, at some point getting a pharmacist on their team. So could you go over Reinhardt's rundown and then talk about your company a little bit and the new education opportunities that are going to be forthcoming? Of course, I'm, I'm happy to. Yes. So I feel pretty passionate about, you know, having some resources available that are free of charge. The Reinhardt's Rundown. Right now we're in the middle of a drug interaction series to kind of shed some light on, you know, not only the pharmacology, but the clinical impact of some of our most common drug interactions. And so the Reinhardt's Rundown is available. If you go to mobilehealthconsultants.com, you can sign up to receive those updates, or if you follow Mobile Health Consultants either on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can certainly find every Monday we post those videos for um, for any team. Usually they're they're three minutes or so only, so a super quick, uh, you know, uh, ad free, so to speak, uh, 
a method to get a quick clinical parole review or drug interaction review. So happy to provide that uh, for everyone. And it, it does kind of give a sense of the type of education that we provide, where it is a blend of, you know, clinical review about a disease or a topic along with some pharmacology and how it's applicable to practice. And so we have mental health courses coming out this year. We have uh, chronic disease education coming this year, focused on things like diabetes, focused on things like hypertension management in the field, uh, COPD, the chronic diseases that we most often see in mobile integrated health. And then of course, we have uh, additional services that we are offering in 2022, like uh, EMS protocol reviews, and free downloads as well for different toolkit items that mobile integrated health teams can use. Outstanding. And one question, this brings me to program directors of paramedicine and community health or paramedic programs. Are your services or these trainings also available to them? And are they CAPSI approved or are they available at the physician's level for CMEs? Or could that be something that can be done that these organizations and program directors and instructors in these programs can start implementing them now because they're not the subject matter experts in, in pharmacology and, and the training that you're providing um, could certainly enhance the teaching that they're providing and the instruction that they're providing. Is that something that you could see of benefit as well? Oh, for sure. And I'm, you know, we're, I know we're not on video here, but I'm laughing, I'm laughing a little bit. I'm smiling because uh, as any of us in the accreditation field know, a CAPC accreditation is, it can be challenging to gain as an organization. And um, amidst the pandemic, it, it just, um, it didn't make a ton of sense for us at the time, um, especially when, uh, you know, we can partner with so many different organizations and have that be CAPC accredited. And so we do offer training uh, from an EMT or paramedic level, uh, nursing level, up to physician level. And uh, we certainly are willing to work with any organization to, you know, offer that and schedule that privately for their team. Um, so we as a group, as mobile health consultants, right now we're in the process for accreditation, but it's not yet done. And uh, in the meantime, we're just figuring out how we can, you know, either come to you or do things virtually that would uh, allow you to access that and, and provide that directly through your, your agency or organization. Awesome. Well, Dr. Reinhardt, um, I would personally like to see you come out to the Oklahoma Explore Healthcare Summit, where about 400 Oklahoma physicians and, and other level providers uh, attend annually. Um, off the podcast, I'd like to send you that information and see if we could get you here, as, as whether it be a keynote or a, um, a speaker at one of the, one of the events, uh, one of the courses during, during that time. And also, uh, for the listeners, could you repeat the email address or, or the company website that people can get in touch with you or through your organization uh, as far as getting this help and getting more information? Absolutely. Uh, Mobile Health Consultants is our business, and you can go to mobilehealthconsultants.com, or you can even reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. I know it says that you know, I'm in the, I have a creator mode uh, on the platform, but I am, I love to connect to people. So feel free to look me up, Victoria Reinhardt's on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, uh, send me a message and introduce yourself. And if I can support your teams in some way or be a resource in this area, I'm, I'm certainly happy to do so. 
Well, thank you very much for that. And um, just as a little snippet, and we've shared it with a few other people, but with the Congress of Mobile Medical Professionals, you played a significant role in, in research and in a paper that we understand is going to be presented uh, or uh, put into a major uh, EMS magazine this February. And I just want to thank you for the time that you took for that, along with all the other things that you do. And I look forward to how that's going to translate to changing and improving paramedicine, mobile integrated health in the interaction with the other interprofessional fields as we continue to grow and move forward for the for the care and well-being of our patients at the point of access. So today we've been with Dr. Victoria Reinhardt, an innovator, an expert in uh, pharmacology and mobile integrated health. Thank you so very much for your time and, and the insights that you provided and the opportunity for our listeners to get in touch with you personally and also through your organization. I, I wanna say thank you very much. Always a great experience to chat with you, Eric, and work with our teams and uh, really honored to be considered to be a guest today. So thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a great day. This is the EMS Improv Podcast powered by GEMS, where we engage, where we're mindful and we tell our story. Thank you very much and look forward to the next one.